Wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Most of you have seen it before, someone doing something they're going to regret because they've had too much to drink. The man in our story experienced this to a point of nearly dying several times. Let's get into it. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, where we share the gospel of Jesus Christ through the art form of audio drama. <laughs> yes, and that includes sound effects. I'm Timothy Gregory, bringing to you the story of a man who drank deeply of alcohol's deception. He had no control over his life and let alcohol dictate how well or how poor his life would go to ruinous results. We'll get into that and more on today's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. Also, you want to stick around because later we're going to give the rest of you an opportunity to enter yet another sweepstakes drawing for a prize. No, it's not a cash prize, but it is a prize, and I think it's a prize that you are really going to like if we draw your name. But first, let's get to it, folks. Part one of the classic true story of Johnny Spence. I'm not crazy. Are you? I don't think so. But, but, but sometimes I get to wondering when I look around this creepy place. We gotta get out of here. Well, how? There's b bars in the windows and guard at the gate. I stole a bottle of peraldehyde. I got it in my pocket. You talk to him and I'll hit him from behind. You, b b b we haven't got any money. And we'll look really nuts running up the street in these pajamas and bathrobes. You want to get out of here or not? Yeah, I do. Then come on, let's start raking Lee's toward the gate. The man in our story had been committed to a private hospital because of his alcoholism. One phase of a deadly battle against an enemy that nearly killed him. In this first of a two-part story, we'll hear about the rise and fall of professional golfer Johnny Spence. This is his true testimony from the classic files of Unshackled. I was the youngest of three brothers who grew up in Columbia, South Carolina. Ours was a happy family with a God-loving mother who always took us to church. Dad was superintendent in charge of streetcars for the Columbia Gas and Electric Company. We lived near the country club where all of us boys served as caddies. When I was 14, I came home one afternoon to find Mom on the porch, weeping. <laughs> Mom, what's wrong? Your daddy's left us. <laughs> what are we gonna do? Well, don't worry, Mom. Um, I'll take care of you. Uh, work hard and make enough money so you never have to worry about anything. Dad never came back, but we managed without him. A year later, my brother and I played our way to the finals of the city golf championship. Uh, then when I was 17, I was named to the vacant job of professional golfer at the country club. One Sunday, I took mom home from church and went to work. Johnny, where you been? I've been looking all over for you. Mr. Joe, I'm sorry that I'm late. I went to Sunday school and church with my mother. Huh. Do you go every Sunday? I go most of the time, but I take Mom every Sunday. Well, there's nothing wrong with church, Johnny, but your job must come first. Yes, sir. We like you, Johnny. 
but our members are leaders in this town, and they expect you to be here all day on Sunday. If you can't be here, well, you just let me know, and we'll get someone else for the job. Mom, I can't go to church with you anymore. Uh, Mr. Joe says I have to be here every Sunday if I want to keep the job. I've been expecting this ever since you took that job, son. Golf is a great game, Johnny, but God must come first. The Bible says he must increase, but I must decrease. All right, I'll figure it out. I can make this by myself. No, you can't. You can't make it by yourself. God says, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Give up that job and come home. I can't, Mom. I have a car now, and besides, I want this job. But what does God want, Johnny? What does God want? As much as I loved my mother, I didn't know what to say, so I hung up without answering her. I hung up on God that day, too, and spent Sundays gambling on golf matches we played. I was very prosperous. I made a lot of money. Well, I taught co-eds to play golf at the local state university and began dating the prettiest girl from one of the best families. I didn't drink then, but she got me started because she wanted me to fit in with her friends. Ironically, a year later, my drinking drove us apart, and I moved back home. Johnny? You still up, Mom? I was worried about you. I can take care of myself. You're drunk. I had a few beers. Johnny, God wants us to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto him, which... Mom! Here. Then you read it. I won't. All right, then. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye might... Ma, I don't want to hear that. I quit my job today. Really? I'm leaving. I want to see the world. I bounced around from Miami to New York, and on my 20th birthday, I awoke in a Bowery hotel, sad and alone. Wanting to see Mom, I went back to Columbia and found her working in a cafeteria. So I took a job as doorman in a theater. One night while I was drunk, I passed Dad on the street and cursed him because he abandoned us. Even so, he offered to help get me a job, so I went to see him after I sobered up and was hired by the city. One day, I had lunch at Mom's job. How do you like the job, son? I've been promoted from night dispatcher to driving a bus myself. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. <laughs> You're always on with a scripture, aren't you, Ma? It's the sword of the spirit. Uh, speaking of good, who's that dark-haired girl over there? She's gorgeous. Oh, well, her name is Dorothy. She's from Charleston, and she's working as a lab technician. Dorothy, huh? I think I'll introduce myself. No, I won't go out with you, so quit asking. Why not? Your own aunt told me to stay away from you, Johnny. She said you're a no-good roughneck. Don't listen to her. My aunt's one of those religious nuts that doesn't want anybody to have fun. She's a fine woman. And let me tell you, Mr. Spence, there are ways to have what you call fun without getting drunk. 
One day, Dottie got on my bus. Again, I asked her for a date, but she ignored me. When she tried to get off at a stop, I didn't open the door. I kept asking when at each stop until she burst out laughing and agreed to go out with me. I courted her three years before she accepted an engagement ring. I didn't drink at first, but one night when I picked her up, I was slightly drunk. Everybody told me you were a roughneck, but I wouldn't listen. Here, take your ring. Please, Dottie. Keep the ring, and I won't drink anymore. How do I know you'll keep that promise? Because I love you. Honey, please. I promise. For a while, I didn't touch a drink, and we were married. With both of us working, we saved a lot of money and bought 185 acres on a hill overlooking the city. We built a golf course and clubhouse that opened September 1941. Three months later, we had more than 300 members. Then war was declared, and gradually, we lost members. What are we going to do, Johnny? Everybody's being drafted. It's already done, honey. I got a federal license to convert our place into an officer's club. But bars are legal in South Carolina. Doesn't apply to a federal license. We can have liquor and slot machines. Well... With all those B-25 pilots in town, that might be the answer. Don't forget Fort Jackson. Lots of officers there, too. What happens if you get drafted? Not to worry, honey. I can hire somebody to run it all. Our clubhouse was one big party for officers in the area. In the summer of 42, a friend of mine landed a small training airplane on a fairway near the clubhouse. And after a few drinks, he offered to take me for a ride. Here we go, Johnny! Don't touch the controls! Don't worry, I won't! No trees around! Get to practice my short field takeoff! The fairway's smooth, but what about that plow field up ahead? Holy cow! We're not gonna make it! I have to abort! Uh-oh! No, 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 no! Brace! Hold on! Oh! You all right? Yeah. We better get out of this thing. The plane nosed over when it hit the plowed field? Johnny, you could have been killed. Nah, we never get off the ground, Ma. I'd say that man needs more training. He just miscalculated. But the plane was a wreck. They had to send in a truck and crew to haul it away. I hope you don't try that again. Not to worry. He's already been transferred overseas. What if you had died, son? What would have happened to you? Oh, here comes the sermon. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. Mom! You must be born again, son, to enter the kingdom of God. I love you, Ma, but I don't love your sermons. I wish now I had listened and avoided the dark road that lay ahead. Folks, we'll get back to Johnny's story in just a moment. But first, I want to share a bit about how our ministry is able to bring hope to people all over the world. Unshackled is now in its 71st year of spreading the good news through powerful stories about real people. Our success is a result of God's blessing and the involvement of, well, supporters like you. When you contribute to Unshackled, it has a direct impact. Your support 
allows us to hire quality writers, talented actors, as you can hear, a skilled production team, and a devoted staff. Through your support, we're able to share Unshackled worldwide. So, in order to continue the work of spreading the gospel and allowing us to offer this program for free, won't you consider making a donation to Unshackled? It's really quite easy. All you need to do is click on the live link, if there's one where you're listening, or visit our podcast website at unshackledpodcast.org. That's unshackledpodcast.org, and then click the donate button. Or you can always write a check, Unshackled, we take checks. You mail that check to 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60607. We thank you for your partnership in our ministry. And now, back to part one of the classic true story of Johnny Spence. In 1943, the draft finally reached old men like me, pushing 30. A guy offered to run the club on a share basis, so I agreed. I reported to Fort Bragg, but the Army assigned me to teach golf to its officers, and when the division shipped out, I stayed behind. Because I knew senators and generals, I pulled a few strings and got myself sent back to Fort Jackson. I'd heard that my partner was running the club as a clip joint, so I confronted him. What are you doing here? I heard bad things about the way you're running this place. Have a drink, and we'll talk. And let you lace it with knockout drops? Not a chance. I'm going to run you right out of here. You're the one who's going to be run out of here. I've got the MPs and the cops in my hip pocket. They're going to ship you overseas. I've already taken care of that. We'll see. His big bounces menaced me, so I didn't challenge him then. But the next day, I confronted him with a shotgun and ordered him off my property. I told him I'd be back that night to take back the club, and I arrived with two carloads of friends. Armed with a 38, I ordered him into the kitchen. Your thugs were smart and left. Now, I'll give you 10 seconds to be on your way. Hey, let's, let's talk this over, Johnny. We're through talking. You're a punk. Hitting that glass bottle was easy. Takes a man to knock out those shot glasses next to your head. Are you nuts, Johnny? Out! Well, the next one is for you. The shots hadn't even attracted attention. That's how rough my club had become. But I was a violent man, too. I ran the club until the war ended, and I was discharged from the Army. Then, through a series of incidents, I lost my liquor license. I tried my hand at the professional golf tour, but alcohol had spoiled my game. I spent six weeks of rehab at a place in Danville, New York, and came out with a greater craving for alcohol. Dottie met me in New York. Please, Johnny, you need to eat something. Two bottles of wine on an empty stomach? Don't you think you've had enough to drink? I decide that. Honey, why don't you come back to Columbia with me? I have things to do here. Johnny, please. Stop nagging me and go home. But forget it. I'll be the one to leave. I drank my way to Baltimore, then Washington, D.C., then on to Fayetteville. Two weeks of hard drinking. Alone in a hotel, I had the delirium tremens, the first of many times. I screamed and rolled on the floor and tore up furniture. I called Dottie and she came and took me home. No recriminations, 
no tears. Our family doctor suggested a private hospital, but my shock and confusion kept me from realizing where I was until they left. Then I was terrified. Hello, Johnny. Hey, I know you. Weren't you the shrink at Fort Bragg? Yes, I was the psychiatrist there. What are these bars on the windows? I, I want out of here. No, you'll be all right. You're a bit disturbed, and we're going to treat you. Nonsense. I just got drunk, that's all. I'm all out of here. Just, just take it easy. I want to see my wife right now. You can't. You've been committed. Committed? Who committed me? Your family. They're the ones who ought to be committed. Now, ho hold on. We're going to give you some medicine, some peraldehyde. I woke strapped to my bed, unable to resist, as they gave me a shock treatment that left me weak and exhausted. When my mind cleared, I raged at Dottie and my mother for putting me there. A few days later, I met a guy I knew, and we plotted our escape. After I hit the guard at the gate, we ran down the street, our robes flapping behind us. A passerby took us to a friend's house where I called Dottie. We were just trying to help you, Johnny. How dare you leave me there? They tried to kill us in that place. Why? They knocked me out, strapped me down, gave me shock treatments. How could you do something like that? I didn't realize. Well, now you do. Come get me right now. I'll never go back there. A man in a minefield needs to be rescued. And I jumped at the chance to represent a golf company that asked me to sell their products at country clubs along the East Coast. The diversion was good until I started drinking with clients. When Dottie tried to get me into rehab, I exploded with resentment and drank even harder. I filled a large refrigerator in my home office with beer and for 19 days, I sat drinking it. It's been 20 days now, Mom, and he's still drinking. Surely he'll run out soon. He had the liquor store refill the refrigerator. We have to do something before he dies of alcohol poisoning. But what? He won't even answer the telephone. What about the rehab? He has to make the first call, and he refuses to do that. Well, he won't listen to me, but... Maybe he'll talk to my pastor. Let's pray for him. Lord, please save my Johnny. All things are possible with you, Father. Please do something to save him. Don't let him die like this. Her pastor came, suggested I not drink so much and see a psychiatrist, but he never told me about the Lord. I finally worked up the courage to call rehab, but I stormed out of the first meeting, bought a bottle, and went to the DTs at home during a thunderstorm. Dottie helped me through that one, and I was sober for eight weeks. What's this great idea you have, Johnny? I want to start an open-air golf shop in a tent or trailer away from the pro shop. Wouldn't the pro shop resist the competition? They'd be relieved. The pro shops lose money every year during the tournament. Why? Because some of the visiting pros buy things wholesale and then leave without paying even a wholesale price. Do you think they'd let you set up a tent or a trailer? They will if I pay them a commission. Let's go to New York and make a sales pitch to manufacturers. 
We launched our open-air golf shop at the Masters in 1949, starting with a 10. But it was so successful that we quickly bought trailers to carry the equipment to each tournament. I was too busy to drink. Then came a banquet when a waiter set a bottle of whiskey in front of each man. I left immediately, called the rehab center, and a kind doctor talked me out of the jitters. Two weeks later, I succumbed and got dead drunk. Fortunately, it was our last tournament that fall. I went home and checked into a rest home that provided alcohol while slowly drying me out. In the spring, we went to the West Coast for the pro tour. Hey, Johnny. Good to see you. Congratulations on winning the state championship, buddy. Thanks. You're the one who taught me to play. Want to play around tomorrow? No, I don't play on Sunday anymore. I dedicate it to the Lord. Give me a break. What makes you think God cares one way or the other? Because it's one of the Ten Commandments. The Bible says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So you don't work. You can still play golf. Someone showed me in, um, uh, what was it? Uh, Isaiah chapter 58, where God tells us to turn away from doing our own things for our own pleasure on the Sabbath. We're supposed to honor him with our time that day. Oh, when did you stop being so religious? Well, I went to a revival meeting and the word of God convicted me of my sin. I repented in brokenness before God and gave my life to Christ. Huh. Johnny, I never realized that he died on the cross for my sins. He sacrificed himself to give me eternal life. Come on, have a drink with me. That'll straighten you out. No, I don't drink anymore. I try to honor God with my body. Every time I saw my friend at the club back home, I mocked him and ridiculed him to others. He took our recrimination with grace. By then, I was making thousands of dollars a week, which was a fortune at that time. But I had to go into a rest home that cost several hundred a week to dry out. I couldn't control my drinking. Son, go to church with us tomorrow. Yes, honey, come on. Are you kidding? I'm at a hole-in-one today, and I'm going to do the same tomorrow. You can take one day off from the game. Forget it. Honey, the Lord can give you a new life. He will help you stop drinking. Please, Johnny. You haven't gone to church in years. And it'll be years before I go again, if ever. The Lord loves you, and he is just waiting for you to come to him. <laughs> a sinner like me? Son, if we confess our sins, the Lord's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to- Knock it off, Ma. You two go without me. My life yo-yoed up and down. Up when I was sober, down when I drank. I had no control, no power to stop. Success or failure, either one sent me to the bottle. By then, I was earning 5,000 a week and fearful that my drinking would end this lucrative work. In 1951, I cut a deal with an auto manufacturer to represent their cars. I stayed sober and Christmas came. This is one of the best Christmases we've ever had. I agree. Not being sober sure makes a difference, doesn't it? Oh, Johnny, if you only knew... Son, ask the Lord to help you resist temptation, and he will. Mom, I've tried everything. Nothing works. When I get the urge to drink, it's all over. Well, I keep praying for you, Johnny. I believe that someday, with the Lord's help, you're gonna conquer that craving. 
That spring was one of the happiest in years. We made all the tournaments and I shunned alcohol. But when we reached the Masters tournament, the pressure got to me. I got drunk and ended up back in the rest home where they gave me Nembutal. The drug calmed me down, but I had a new addiction. I could be the life of the party without smelling of whiskey. I bought a brand new luxury car and let a friend drive me one night because I had combined drugs and alcohol. He went inside to visit family and I awoke not knowing where I was. I drove away, vaguely aware that I should find Dottie. Weaving along a road that wouldn't hold still, I took a curve on the wrong side and a big 18-wheeler suddenly loomed at me. Hello? Mom. It's Dottie. Johnny was in a terrible accident. Is he all right? I'm not sure. He hit a big truck head on and they didn't find him right away. He was thrown almost 70 feet. Oh, dear Lord. I I'm telling you all this so you'll know how to pray. He needs your prayers. Where are you? At the hospital. The doctor said a piece of the steering wheel punctured his lung and his abdomen. Five of his teeth were sheared off and his left hand is broken. Oh, he has lots of cuts and bruises. Oh, my. Well, at least he's alive, thank God. Yes. Maybe he'll turn to the Lord through this. You've really been through it with him. So have you, Dottie. The Lord bless you for staying with him. I just don't understand why he keeps drinking. He knows he can't handle it. He needs the Lord. And maybe this will get his attention. I'll keep you informed, Mom. Oh, God. Save my son. Don't let him die without knowing you. Thank you for your mercy, Father. You have spared his life many times before. And now, Lord, I beg you to give him another chance to come to you. Please, Father. Next week, in the conclusion of this dramatic story, we'll hear how Johnny Spence would sink to the bottom, even losing an eye, before he gained ears to hear the truth that set him free. Listening friend, if you're struggling with the destructive habit, the Son of God will set you free. And if the Son therefore shall make you free, ye shall be free indeed. Jesus Christ came to give you life, and life more abundantly. If you have never put your trust in Christ Jesus as Savior, why not do so now? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you need help in making this crucial decision, or you want to be connected to resources that can help, get in touch with us here at Pacific Garden Mission. 1458 South Canal Street, Chicago, Illinois, 60607, or call 1-888-NEED-HIM. Now, we love hearing from our listeners here on the Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast, so send us your questions and we'll answer them here. 
It can be something you're curious about or just something you want to share with us. All you have to do is write us at podcast at unshackled.org or call and leave us a message at 312-281-1264. We'd love to hear from you. Now, before we get to our sweepstakes drawing info, I just want to remind you to subscribe or like our Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. You can even share it or tell a friend. We'd also love for you to review or rate our podcast, and don't forget to check out our other podcasts on this same platform, Unshackled Daily Devotionals and Unshackled in Person. We appreciate your input and involvement in our ministry. And again, please consider supporting us so we can freely offer quality Christian programming to the world. All right, the prize for this sweepstakes contest is another beautiful wooden scripture plaque. And it's John 1.29, which proclaims, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. That's wonderful, isn't it? Well, this plaque is gorgeous, especially if you're looking for daily inspiration from scripture. You will love this authentic and very unique wooden plaque. The plaque has been sawn from a tree branch. Sawn? Is that a word? Well, it is now. Or log, and cut into such a way to retain as much of the bark around the perimeter as possible. And the bark around this one, well, it's gorgeous. This plaque has been handcrafted around the, the natural character and beauty of the wood that God created. Now, if you'd like a peek at this scripture plaque, just visit our podcast website, unshackledpodcast.org. And stop by the audio drama page for a picture. Unfortunately, we're only able to mail this plaque to locations within the United States, so our drawing is limited to U.S. addresses. But if you reside in the U.S., all you have to do to enter our sweepstakes drawing is call 312-281-1264 or email podcast at unshackled.org. And give us your name, phone number, and email. Your name, phone number, and email. The winner of the sweepstakes for this beautiful scripture plaque will be announced June 27th. But the deadline for entry is June 11th. We look forward to hearing from you. And next time... Mrs. Spence? How is he? Lucky to be alive. When they brought him in, I didn't think he would live. They said he was thrown some 70 feet. <laughs> it's a miracle that he survived. The man in our story was a pro golfer who might have made the record books except for his addiction to alcohol. I've played golf with your husband, Mrs. Spence, and if he didn't drink so hard, he'd still be a great golfer. In this conclusion of his testimony, we'll hear how he sank to the bottom, desiring death. Thanks for sharing your bottle with me, Don. All the guys won't give me the time of day after all I did for them. Can't say I blame them. Look at me. Oh. I'm just a bum. Nothing but a bum. Don't miss the powerful conclusion of his testimony. This true account of Johnny Spence from the classic files of Unshackled. Heard in part one of the classic true story of Johnny Spence were Stephen Spencer, Jane Hahnemann, Elizabeth Argus, Mark Forrest, Art Fox, and Demetrius Troy. Original music, Don Badorf. Sound effects, Demetrius Troy. Sound assistant, Martin Robinson. Recording engineer, David Pierczynski. Audio engineer, Michael Kahn. Script, Kenitha Gabler and Jack O'Dell. 
That's it for this week's Unshackled Audio Drama Podcast. So until next time, unless our Lord returns before then, I'm Timothy Gregory, your brother in Christ.